hello and welcome to the Two Square Girls podcast. We have a guest with us today. Hi everyone, this is Jeff Shutt. I'm an MFA student at San Diego State and I'm here to talk about poetry. Yeah, um, we're going to be doing three or four poems um, and talking about their poetic qualities, uh, what stood out to us, um, what we found to be interesting and also intriguing. So this first poem, would you like to introduce it? Yeah, this is um, titled A Poetic State, and it's by the Polish poet Czesław Milos. And um, yeah, we can read it now. So, A Poetic State. As if I were given a reverse telescope instead of eyes, the world moves away and everything grows smaller people, streets, trees, but they do not lose their distinctness, are condensed. In the past, I had such moments writing poems, so I know distance, disinterested contemplation, putting on an eye which is not I, but now it is like that constantly, and I ask myself what it means, whether I have entered a permanent poetic state. Things once difficult are easy, but I feel no strong need to communicate them in writing. Now I am in good health, where before I was sick because time galloped and I was tortured by fear of what would happen next. Every minute, the spectacle of the world astonishes me. It is so comic that I cannot understand how literature could expect to cope with it. Sensing every minute in my flesh, by my touch, I tame misfortune and do not ask God to avert it. For why should he avert it from me if he does not avert it from others? I dreamt that I found myself on a narrow ledge over the water where large sea fish were moving. I was afraid I would fall if I looked down, so I turned, gripped with my fingers at the roughness of the stone wall, and moving slowly with my back to the sea, I reached a safe place. I was impatient and easily irritated by time lost on trifles, among which I ranked cleaning and cooking. Now, attentively, I cut onions squeeze lemons and prepare various kinds of sauces yeah so something that stands out to me about this poem is just um the overall conceit that we get in that in that first stanza of the the metaphor of the reverse telescope with the the world moving further and and further away and um yeah we get this sense that um the poet was once uh, had an obsession with sort of time and productivity, perhaps, and um, now that they're just sort of able to to let go and and not be as concerned, um, they feel like they've entered this sort of transcendent poetic state. But now that they're there, um, I no longer. It says I no longer feel. I feel no strong need to communicate them in writing, and it's just talking about sort of being present and um and feeling alive and we get that um sort of talking through the reverse telescope um image that we get in the beginning is sort of carried throughout yeah that's a good way of putting it like a reverse telescope and i was just thinking about how when the poem it kind of expands into sort of this a uh, non-existential but self-aware state and it it makes it 
feel like, you know, you're kind of out in the universe, out in space, and then it narrows back into this image at the end um, of, like, you know, cutting onions and lemons and preparing sauces. And, and, you know, it there's this journey that's taken that happens in prose poems. Um, and, you know, in my mind, I, I'm looking at the poem and I'm even taking out, like, words of it and putting and leaving in the words that stick out the most to me, like, making it into more of a poem that you know, rather than telling, it's it's kind of like those are the details that are sticking out for me. Um, so what were some like details or descriptions that stuck out for you? Yeah, definitely that that final one that you mentioned. Now, attentively, I cut onions, squeeze lemons and prepare various kinds of sauces. Um, yeah, just like the attentively there shows like how this this speaker is now existing in the in the present space and sort of being appreciative of of life around them and i thought that all these images um sort of with the the fish in the pond and you can't look down um that sort of um talking about how he, like how the the speaker felt um before uh, coming to this to this moment of transcendent peace um like you're being afraid to like you you're gonna fall if you if you look down just sort of like um wily coyote over the over this ledge um but yeah i think that all these images really um show this 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 theme of um that's carried throughout the poem um with this conceit of the the reverse telescope and yeah all the images really um do a good job of conveying that emotion without being um hit over the head with it too much and it's a very sort of a soft landing with all these um yeah just very pleasurable pleasurable images of of natural things yeah, I agree. I think that the turns, uh, you know, are a good poetic device. And I think that Milos made this uh, purposely a prose poem to capture sort of that essence of uh, conformity without leaving behind that still surrealism and self-awareness that occurs in, in, a, in this type of state. Um, so I think that the form complemented you know, the content very well in that sense. Um, I, you know, just visually looking at the poem too, it, it has just a, it just looks like a few lines on, on a page, like of a book, um, as though, you know, this is just one page of kind of enlightenment and then you turn the page and there's another one. So it gives me sort of that feeling of, of like progression and moving forward, even though it describes, you know, kind of fears and other, other sort of like descriptions um about you know hesitation a little bit too is what i sense but it comes back around in kind of a curious way um so i think that that's something that that's a quality i think of milos's poetry as well um and kind of a sense and tone that he um you know uses pretty often yeah no those are those are great thoughts yeah how it how it comes back around yeah it has like these these questions and these these kind of doubts but then in the end yeah the readers are left with a very sort of hopeful sense of the of the future for this speaker and that they're going to be able to um, continue on to the to the next page or the next uh, chapter of their life yeah um and that kind of leads to the next poem that we're going to look at um and i believe that uh do you want to do the chris abani one Okay, and then that way you can do the one that you picked. So we picked two poems from uh, Chris Abani, and uh, these are a different style and tone, but they also have this quality of kind of 
pulling the reader into a, uh, you know, kind of an image, um, and, and kind of you're, you're, you're also, you know, kind of left with this sort of curious feeling at the end of something that's not quite resolved. Um, so I picked Well Meant by Chris Abani. Well Meant. 2,500 tins of tuna, no can opener, powdered milk that loosened unfamiliar stomachs speeding death, 3,000 Bibles dropped into Mujahideen children, 1,000 blankets and sweaters sent to tropical hot zone, crates of suturing thread and no needles, thousands of candles and no matches, tubes of toothpaste and no toothbrushes, boxes of high-heeled shoes. So I think this poem has a heavy use of imagery and the form is too, you know, it's a couplet form, but it's also a continuation form. It's not just, you know, couplets, it's couplets that's also standalone stanzas. So I think that gives it this feeling of sort of finality, but also something unresolved, um, which is sort of what the content also portrays. Yeah, the the images are these sort of, um, sort of depicting these images of, of aid, but it's not able to be helpful um, whatsoever. And yeah, I think Abani's throughout all this poetry, his imagery, um, and just sort of the direct, and um, it really just cuts right to the right to the point, and he doesn't need um, a lot of words to, to get his point across, and just all of these examples are really perfect examples of, um, you know, trying to help, um, sort of having, having good intentions in theory, but um, your, your efforts just really, really fall short, and you're not able, not able to help, like, um, 1,000 blankets and sweaters sent to a tropical hot zone. And it just talks about kind of the, the waste um, that goes with these, these humanitarian aid efforts and how we're, we're not able to actually um, follow through on our, on our grand designs and our, our sort of idealistic um, notions of being able to help people. Yeah, what image stood out to you the most here? Because there were a few that I think were hard-hitting and then a few that were a lot more interpretive. And uh, they all kind of, it, because it's a shorter poem too, they had an impactful sort of influence on the overall work. Um, so was there any images that kind of, you're like, oh yeah, like my brain stuck on that? I think it's either the the... 3,000 Bibles being dropped to Mujahedin children, or it's the, the tubes of toothpaste and, and no toothbrushes, and then the boxes of high-heeled shoes. Um, yeah, because it's really obviously useless to have uh, toothpaste and, and no toothbrushes, and then um, someone who, who's kind of yearning for these basic human necessities is then um, bestowed with boxes of, of high-heeled shoes, you know, just uh, more high-heeled shoes than, than anyone could need. And, um, yeah, I think that that is just the, the absurdity of um, 
boxes of high heeled shoes really really stuck with me and the fact that abani chose to chose to end the poem there and let us let us linger on that definitely kind of stuck out um, and stayed with me after after reading yeah uh i think that it made a lot of sense that these images came one after the other um it just reminded me of you know those aisles of toothpaste and uh that you see like at the grocery store there's like an endless aisles and aisles of it and it it also made me think of just how that doesn't match the sort of scarcity of the things that people have and it it kind of this dis- this sort of um paradox this kind of disparity it it like definitely stands out more i'm not gonna comment on the high-heeled shoes because uh I'm a fan of those, but <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, no, but it's true though, because, um, you know, having a, sh- like this need for consumerism, um, reflected back in this manner and kind of having that be highlighted pretty much at the end. Right. Um, if that's the very end of the poem and that kind of hit, that's probably why it hits hard. And, and even the title, right. Well meant, um, you know, it, what does that even mean because people mean well we think generally but not everyone does so this well-meant feeling it makes sense because it's sort of vague and it gives sort of this impression of of something good but it also leaves it hanging because it doesn't actually do anything there's no action in here um meaning well isn't really a thing that you can show or do and it doesn't result in anything at the end um, which is exactly what the poem is talking about with these images so I think that each of these lines each of these couplets reflects back onto the uh, title yeah I agree that the, the title is doing a lot of good work and yeah maybe the reason that that final line stands out to me is because that's the only like the rest of the poem is very focused on on the physical on the material as is that last line but uh yeah that's the only spot where the sort of western consumerism like uh, perfectly depicted through the image of the of the high-heeled shoe is is implicated and um we get since this poem is obviously written in english um that that's that in a sense um sort of implicates the reader as um being somewhat culpable in this in this well-intentioned um failure to to help those in need yeah it's the self-awareness that's coming back like we saw in milos's poem um so that you know i think for this poem it even for a short form of a uh, just five six stan- six stanzas um it does a lot in those six stanzas um so we're going to move on to the next poem which is the one that you chose yeah i wanted to uh take a look at another um, a Bonnie poem. He's been uh, probably the one of my favorite poets I've been introduced to um, lately. So this one is called War Widow, and it was written in 2006. The telephone never rings. Still, you pick it up, smile into the static, the breath of those you've loved long dead. The leaf you pick from the fall rises and dips away with every ridge. Fingers stiff from time you trace, staring off into the distance, a limbed and limned by cataracts. 
and other collected debris, you have forgotten none of the long-ago joy of an ice cream truck and its summer song. Between the paving stones, between tea, a cup, and the sound of you pouring, between the time you woke that morning and the time when the letter came, a tired sorrow, like an old flagellant able only to tease with a weak sting, riding the elevator all day, floor after floor after floor, each stop some small victory whittled from the hard stone of death, you smile. They used to write epics about moments like this. And again, yeah, it's really the, the imagery of, of Abani's work that, that stands out here and um, his ability to, to use uh, metaphor and simile quite, quite effectively um, and the sort of elegiac um, tone that the, that the poem embodies and the, the, the focus on the theme of death that begins with the with the Im- the implication of the widow in the in the title, and yeah, I think that 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 um, simile really stands out to me as an effective device. Um, a tired sorrow, semicolon, like an old flagellant, able only to tease with a weak sting. So yeah, he's sort of um, defining this emotion of a, of a tired sorrow that this widow is experiencing. Um, by describing, um, you know, someone who's who's only able to to hurt themselves with a, you know, a very a very light um, a light flagellation, and I just thought that 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 simile was was so perfect, and to dis- to define uh, the notion of, of a tired sorrow, and yeah, I think that it's it's hard to justify, um, like, using that type of language and that type of device of a simile in a very um, concrete type poem like this, but um, since it's absolutely so striking, I think um, Abani is able to pull it off. And I think the fact that there's only one simile um, is also is also helping it to to really stand out and to work. Yeah, I I really felt that the whole poem it was a you know it accumulated, and and if you could read that last stanza again, because I think that was the one that um, sort of almost encompassed uh the whole feel of the poem yeah definitely i think that's sort of touching on a lot of the themes and tying them up nicely is uh it says riding the elevator all day floor after floor after floor each stop some small victory whittled from the hard stone of death you smile they used to write epics about moments like this yeah it it kind of ends on this sort of you know not sentimental, but maybe even, um, you know, it, it, this kind of criticism and it, but it first starts with this sort of repetition and that repetition, I think is also something that, um, it really makes the poem, especially at the end, you know, makes you go back and think about the other sections and what they're saying and what messages, um, they're conveying to the reader, um, and the audience. And, um, you know, uh, the as even the title, right? The alliteration in the title, it it kind of gives you an expectation that you're going to hear something that probably will have these poetic devices. That it will have things that stand out in a linguistic way, and the language will be surprising, especially um, throughout. You know, in the in the middle of the poem, right? Like, what were a couple of phrases that sort of 
you know, made you go back and say, okay, yeah, the way that this was done was uh, pretty, you know, it, it really went well with the rest of the poem. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point you brought up about this the the ending sort of speaking to the to the other parts and yeah this poem really urges you to to reread it which is what we want in a poem we don't want to just kind of read it once and be done with it I think this is working on so many levels yeah I can point out um, a couple moments like the like when we get the like the cataracts and and other collected debris um very uh, juxtaposed in the in the same stanza it's very um stark contrast to these um ice cream trucks and the and the summer songs and the and the long ago joy and i think just the the starkness there um really really stood out to me and in, in camps encapsulated this this elegiac tone yeah exactly it, it felt like an elegy and in some ways it was a plea right at the end where they used to you know write epics moments like this it and um it kind of makes you think of what moment that the um speaker is chasing there and you know if they'll ever be able to stay in it so that's a that's a good sort of way to you know wrap up the kind of the style that abani writes in um and you know talking about the way that he moves from stanza to stanza um, so that was a, you know, pretty good reading. Um, should we do one more poem? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that, that's great. Yeah, his movement from stanza to stanza is really elegant and how he's able to, uh, to jump around from these different images like, uh, you know, a widow staring off in the distance, a leaf yeah. falling from a tree, um, you know, sort of like an English garden with tea, um, and then to a very, the very mundane, um, elevator image that um the mundane is then made powerful as it's as it's speaking to all the all the other themes in the poem but yeah i think the movement from stanza to stanza is a is a technique that we should we should try to replicate but yeah let's move on to our to our final poem yeah definitely um and this idea of like seeing the different styles uh, that the poets sort of have it's it's almost like their signature um and there's like a you know there's a recognition there whenever we're reading a poem um and so uh do you want to introduce the last poet that we'll be reading yeah this is um we're gonna be looking at a poem called a noun sentence by mahmoud darwish and he is a palestinian poet um yeah so uh this poem i think that even just the title right it kind of points to this um this playfulness um, with language, with words. Uh, so, a noun sentence. A noun sentence, no verb, to it or in it, to the sea, the scent of the bed after making love, a salty perfume or a sour one. A noun sentence, my wounded joy, like the sunset at your strange windows. My flower green like the phoenix, my heart exceeding my need, hesitant between two doors, entry a joke, and exit a labyrinth. Where is my shadow, my guide, amid the crowdedness on the road to judgment day? And I, as an ancient stone of two dark colors in the city wall, chestnut and black, go protruding in sensitivity towards my visitors and the interpretation of shadows. Wishing for the present tense, a foothold for walking behind me or ahead of me, barefoot. Where is my second road to the staircase of expanse? Where is futility? 
Where is the road to the road, and where are we, the marching on, the footpath of the present tense? Where are we? Our talk a predicate and a subject before the sea, and the elusive foam of speech, the dots on the letters, wishing for the present tense of foothold on the pavement. I think that, um, like you said, the playfulness in playing um, with all these all these spark parts of speech and how easy it can be to uh to lose one's foothold as this as the speaker has this refrain you know where are we um where are we towards the end and just is lost kind of in this um morass of of parts of speech and uh and words and all getting jumbled and then is just looking for you know a sense of uh the present tense for for a foothold is is really kind of a nice um playfulness and uh and using of the the parts of speech and yeah like we talked about when we talked about this poem in class um a noun sentence just implies that there's there's something missing and this 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 speaker is just looking for a, a foothold you know where is my shadow my guide and this, amid the crowdedness on the road to judgment day um there's like this sense of uh, of being lost in the poem yeah definitely and another thing i noticed about the poem is it has this uh movement that makes it sort of makes the reader want to keep going um you know even the form right it starts with this uh to the sea the scent of the bed and it moves to image to image and and sense to sense almost as if it's matching uh parts of sentences and parts of speech to um senses themselves and emotions um so it it kind of has this effect where uh each of the images it you know the reader stays for just a, a minute and then moves on um probably even less than that maybe like a second or a millisecond and then goes right back to the next sort of um you know in the city wall chestnut and black when you're looking at the kind of uh middle of the poem and it, and it talks about a labyrinth so this this poem feels also kind of like a maze um and when you're going through the maze right you see all these different things and all of the different sort of uh you know, directions and paths that could be sort of taken and, and each one leads to somewhere, you know, especially uh, where it says, where is my second road to the staircase of expanse? And then it kind of goes into where's futility, where's the road to the road? You know, it almost veers into like um, nonsense and this, uh, you know, idea of, um, you know, like language and, and uh, places being arbitrary and uh kind of this vagueness and ambiguity comes into the poem as well yeah i think those are those are all great points about how the form of just having this sort of large block of text and not breaking it up in stanzas um kind of encourages us to see this all these images as sort of um holistic and 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 not um separate from each other as all but all sort of coalescing to one to one end and yeah i think um like he could have easily um darwish could have broken up um like this the the imagery of the sea and then you know switching to the flower um he could have it would have been easy to and most poets probably would um kind of break that up but i think the just having this large block of text and being it all contained in one stanza adds to the the speed of the of the read and of the the attention of the reader as you said 
um, but also like the just the morass of different parts of speech and um, different images that are being thrown at us and it sort of feels like a like a labyrinth and it, it can be um, a bit overwhelming um, on the page for for the reader even and a bit um, create like a sense of, of confusion more so than it would if they were if they were broken apart but yeah I just think that adds to the to the feeling of the poem yeah I'm gonna ask kind of the same question which is like what was your favorite image or the image that stuck out kind of the most um, prominently I think he went it's when at the end he goes back to the to the image of the of the sea um, our talk a predicate and a subject before the sea and the elusive foam of speech the dots on the letters um, yeah I think that was just a very um, beautiful combination of you know the English um, language devices and uh, parts of speech and this uh, the imagery and the, yeah the elusive foam of speech the dots on the letters I, I, that really stood out to me yeah, he keeps coming back to this sea metaphor, right? It's almost an extended metaphor, especially there at the end with the foam and the dots and, and um, kind of coming back to, like, this, the scent of the sea and, and that, like, evoking that one sort of uh, moment or sort of, like, um, you know, experience evoking this entire world uh, within. So I really liked that idea. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess one thing that we can close off with is you know, maybe developing a prompt for our listeners um, to sort of write it after hearing this and, and maybe looking at the poems online and, and uh, reading the poems along and listening to, you know, um, sort of us talk about the analysis and, and what stood out and what poetic devices were present. Um, so, you know, what's a sort of prompt that you might think of? I, I mean, I can go first. I, I like the idea of someone doing exactly what you know I imagine how this poem was written obviously I I don't know but like what's one moment that stood out once that kind of threw you in another world in another sort of dimension um where you're thinking about something else entirely and then it kind of whirls into that the way that this sea did in this uh in this poem and then coming back linguistically um you know through through poetic language um, so I guess the prompt would be like, what moment uh, extends further than just the moment you experience and then like writing a poem or um, writing like an entry about it or a prose piece about it? Yeah, uh, that's that's a great prompt. I uh, like I said, I'm drawn to to a Bonnie. So I would suggest um, writing a poem that that's very directly um, critiquing uh, the failures of um of society to uh, to kind of deal with these systems and to to aid people who are who are in need of uh, of actually receiving that help and just to talk about kind of the the shortcomings of uh, certain certain societies to to help those who are in need and I think yeah, um, they, like the stakes of um, that type of um, societal commentary is also is always um, interesting to see in poetry and is something that um, encourages encourages readers to uh, to really think about things and to to return to a poem that has these very um, deep messages about society yeah that's that's a good prompt as well kind of you know asking readers to think deeply about what it is and in, uh, in these sort of systems that pulls out 
poems like this and, and what's something that you can pull out of it that also um, provides like observation um, and imagery the way Abani did. Um, so that is the wrap up there. Uh, and we hope you enjoyed um, all of these poets and their works. Uh, we encourage you to read more um, and pick your favorites and talk about them too. Um, thank you all. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. <laughs>